Cool, we are live with the matching t-shirts today. I'm joined by Blake Imperil, who is the head of growth at Tone, a conversational marketing platform. Blake, welcome. Give us a little intro, who you are and what your background is in e-commerce. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam. It's great to be on this. I've, I've watched many of these before, so to be on the other side is, is quite the honor. Um, but yeah, I, I'm Blake. I came up through an agency for the first few years of my career, uh, worked my way up to be a head of retention. Um, working with like seven and eight bigger Shopify brands um, and learned a lot about like email, SMS and lifecycle marketing. Um, it's what I'm really passionate about, like building and growing brands. Um, and I basically used a platform called Tone at my time in an agency and then I'm giving them so much feedback and working with them so closely that they um, basically offered me a position and they were like, we need to get you on the bus. We just don't know where to put you. Um, so they ended up offering me the job to, to run growth for them um, and really be like a thought leader in the space for, for them in their conversational kind of two-way SMS strategy. Um, so yeah, here I am now, um, you know, switching over to the SaaS side, but I have a lot of agency experience. So, um, you know, I kind of straddle both sides of things, but uh, again, just really passionate about retention marketing and, and kind of helping to engage in the community. Good stuff. So what does your day-to-day -day look like now at Tone? Obviously I'm guessing it's a lot different than um, doing the strategies directly for the brands with the agency? Yeah, it's very, very different. I think on this side of it, it's more thought leadership. Um, and, and I think, you know, in the SMS space, it's so new that there's a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of good, I think, ideas out there. But I think there's also a lot of misinformation out there um, in terms of like, what is the long term implications of SMS look like? So I think for me, it was like really figuring out the content that we wanted to, to push, the strategy, the positioning of how we were gonna talk about SMS. We at Tone do a really different approach to conversational SMS, which is you know human powered communication. So um, not one way SMS, you know, not like a help desk oriented, you know, like we're doing this on behalf of brands. So it was really educating and finding the strategies of how uh, you know, best to use this channel. Um, so that's that's a big piece of, of my day to day is definitely on the education thought leadership side, but also enablement, helping our sales teams, helping our accounts teams, um, working with marketing. I'm kind of like a Swiss Army knife, really, with with what I do. Um, you know, like I don't really do product led growth, which is what I know a lot of a lot of growth marketers do. Um, yeah. But more on the enablement side than anything. And then you know, obviously now with the attentive acquisition, um, you know, going and kind of everything that I had planned, you know, and that's kind of now taking a back seat. And now, you know, this next really exciting chapter of, you know, conversational two-way SMS, we're taking tone and putting that into attentive, which is a really exciting time for the space. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to really be exciting to see how um, much more revenue we're going to drive for brands, but also how much longer we're going to keep people on the list by taking this customer service approach um, yeah. to SMS. Okay, so let's talk about some of the fundamentals of this conversational strategy because I think you'll probably um, know that the misconception perhaps of SMS marketing or people's idea of it is that it's basically just um, a lot of offers being pumped out over text, but you're talking about it in a completely different way. So what is conversational marketing at its essence and like how is it different than what most people think about SMS strategy today? I, that's a great question. I, I think it's a, it's a few things. Um, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, SMS was never meant to be a one-way channel. 
You know, like when you text your friends, it's back and forth. It's very conversational. And so like, that's what we're trying to maintain is that a brand and a, and a customer have that conversational experience. Um, and I think it goes way deeper than sales. I, I think a lot of what this channel can really do for brands is to provide like a one-to-one -one customer service kind of approach, you know, really placing emphasis on the customer experience. Um, so for us, it's like, you know, obviously like doing SMS marketing, I'm not telling you to like not do SMS marketing. Like you can make great money off of that, but like, I think you need to have a support layer on, in addition to that, where like, if questions come up, if you want to be proactive and start conversations or check in with people, that's where you really need to be conversational in your, in your strategy. So the campaigns is one piece of it. And then I think also it's placing the channel in the right places. So if people have questions, you know, no knock to email, uh, customer service, no knock to live chat, but not everyone wants to engage on those channels. So I think offering the customer that additional kind of strategy or not strategy, but um, option to engage with your brand. You know, if you're placing a phone number on your email um, footers or if you're placing it on your site, you know, there's just a lot more creative use cases around how we can be conversational with SMS rather than being promotional in nature. Yeah, completely agree. So where would you go in then? Let's say you're building a conversational marketing strategy with SMS from scratch. Like what are the main areas that you're looking to instantly provide this level of service? I know Abanson's courts are probably the most renowned, but is there any additional yeah. ones that maybe people aren't aware of? Yeah, I think, um, you know, abandoned cart, obviously it's gonna be good for your top line revenue and really just saving sales. But I think we take it deeper than that is um, with, something like a, like a call it live text, placing a widget on your site to have people text in and get that support. It grows your list, number one, but also it's mm -hmm. like getting people a relevant support. Um, so that, that's a really great one that, I, that I, I, I don't see enough brands doing is having that, that text us number in. We, we see sometimes brands where they'll have their customer service team during working hours place their gorgeous or you know help desk kind of chat. Um, yeah. And then if, if it's off hours, you know we'll handle that for them. So I think that's a really great way to keep things conversational with your SMS. Um, also, you know, even even things like we see a lot of brands with package inserts and having that text us number if there's questions just to start conversations that way. Um, that's another really great thing to do. Um, and then also, I think the last thing that we're seeing a lot of interesting use cases around now, and especially with bringing this to attentive, is on the the flows and automations side of things, yeah. taking those automations and really personalizing and taking those into conversations. So a great example would be a transactional shipping update. Um, you know, say the order's been delivered, you know, let us know if you have any questions. Taking that moment to really like engage with the customer. Um, we just launched our Flows product not too long ago with Tone, but we've seen some amazing results so far with just providing that extra level of value and taking it a little bit deeper, I think, than customers are used to having um, with an SMS channel. Nice. So post-purchase, definitely making sure someone's received the product well and that they're happy with it. What about like when someone cancels a subscription or is about to churn? Have you ever experimented with going in maybe at a danger point and just trying to talk to them? Yeah, absolutely. We So we built out a recharge integration um, with Talon. And I, so I think having that, and I mean, I, I read your piece on, you know, the you know, the subscriptions and, and really like how you think about recharge with your email and things like that. And that kind of gave me some ideas. And I, I think the kind of subscription kind of like intervention if, if you will with with if they do cancel and, and offering to you know 
I think it's it's a few things. It's obviously finding out why they canceled is super important. But I think oftentimes like we we didn't have enough data to really say like what the impact was going to be. Like we just launched this recently. But I, I would speculate, you know, like people opening up or potentially there's an opportunity to start a conversation where they need to modify or there's so many different reasons of, of how you could keep someone on that um, that subscription. And, and I think the perfect vessel is to have that conversation right then and there. Um, something like a you know, traditional email thread that goes back and forth over a matter of days versus an mm-hmm. SMS conversation that might transpire yep. over, you know, 10 to 20 minutes might still end in the same result, but I think it just puts your brand in a little bit more of a proactive spotlight, which I think is one of the most crucial things about having like a really conversational strategy is being proactive rather than being like a, in a reactive state. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Great. Um, great analysis there. Got a few comments. Let's just divert off to them. I only got here to see how Blake really looks like because his avatar doesn't show it. <laughs> I'm sure that that's obviously Juliana um, from Yogesh. Uh, quick question, how should young people start the path of entrepreneurship with no list and experience start getting their first customers, clients? Do you want to handle that, Blake? Yeah, let me read this one again, sir. That's a great question. Um, I, I think the biggest thing I'll say, and I, I feel like it's a really common thing that I see a lot with people who are in entrepreneurship is is leveraging social platforms like LinkedIn to meet and, and network with people. I think it's one of the, the best things I recommend to anyone who's just starting out is really like take the time to meet with people, add value to them in any way yeah. you can and start to really build out a network of people. Um, I started on LinkedIn really about like two years ago, but like spending a serious stuff about a year ago. And the people that I've met and the opportunities that I've been afforded through LinkedIn have been nothing short of like insane for me. So I would recommend really like getting on LinkedIn, um, finding people that you want to be surrounded by and then start adding value to them. Don't expect anything back from them, but really going the extra mile. I mean, so one of the things that I used to do is literally just talk to people and be like, how can I help you with your SMS marketing, you know, or how with your email marketing? And that turned into, you know, doing consulting for people that turned into job offers. Like, I, I really think the more that you focus on adding value rather than getting value, yeah. you're going to get way more value back. I think it's pretty cliche, but that's one of the biggest things I always try to recommend to someone getting started. I think you, you're onto something with that. It's hard to disagree. And I would, I would also say not to expect to receive anything back as well in the beginning. I know it's quite hard. Obviously, you want compensation for doing something, but sometimes you just need the experience to start as well. And there's a lot sure. to be said for just getting your hands dirty and then building up credibility in something, and then you can give more value out because you've got that experience um, rather than worrying about like getting clients straight from the beginning. Sometimes you do just need to play the long game as hard and as frustrating as that is. Definitely. I was talking to somebody um, the other day, just starting at their agency and talking about like, how do I, you know, get my first few clients and, and you know, it's a really competitive, you know, I, I'm sure you can under, like even attest to it. It's like, it's really competitive out there to get, you know, clients when you're just starting. And so I think focusing on how you can just give them value. And like you said, you're not expecting anything back in, in return, but also yeah. I think when you get those first clients, like, really leveraging the hell out of what you're doing with those clients. If there's an opportunity to do case studies to showcase your work, 
Yeah. Um, if there's opportunities to get testimonials, anything you can do to like capitalize on that, I think is you just got to keep that wheel going. I've seen some really creative use cases too around once people have clients, uh, like sharing that work on LinkedIn as they go, kind mm -hmm. of like a follow me along. I, I don't know. Like I, I think it really depends on the person, but um, it's it's definitely a long term play on, on some of this stuff. It is, it is, and there's a follow up comments as well. Um, I've learned from a few mentors, I have all the funnels in place, offer, but main problem arises in getting cold clients as I am from India. Most of the good clients are in foreign countries, so times are different. And I, I think, um, Yogesh, you need to like take a step back and not worry too much about it. It's very difficult to get cold clients on LinkedIn, and I think this goes back to your points, Blake, you were saying before. Just pick a niche and just learn as much as possible and then start to create demands around that rather than worrying about getting someone like right off the bat because it's not going to happen on LinkedIn unless you're literally contacting thousands of people and then you're just going to end up frustrated and demoralized. So just plant the seeds, start to water them, and eventually they will uh, sprout and you'll get money. <laughs> I love it. I think, you know, you and I have talked about this, Adam, I think, but... Um... I think the modern kind of B2B approach and getting clients is really around content and, and establishing yourself as a thought leader in the space. Yeah. Um, you know, I know it's kind of like a bunch of loaded words to call yourself a thought leader, but I, I think it's just like, if you can post content that resonates with people, I think yeah. 10 out of 10 times, that's better than a cold email. I think you get people into this ecosystem and you really try to just like, you're adding value to them. They're adding value to you, hopefully. But I, I think, Cold emails are never going to put you in a good light unless you're like, you know, an, an amazing copywriter. And I think, or if you have a really good angle at getting in there, but like, I think it's more time spent doing that rather than like the content's going to be more fruitful than I think spending all your time writing cold emails. You know, maybe, maybe people disagree with me on that one, but I, I just think it's a really tough thing when you're just getting started to get people's attention. No, I, I agree with you completely. I think you're spot on. One thing I will say just to touch on that as well. The more content that you create, your value just accumulates in time. And you and I talk to you about this. I think you build up that brand equity within yourself. So every time someone doesn't respond to a cold email, that's a wasted amount of time. Whereas if you create content that continues on this trajectory, just going up and up and up, and the value just keeps building as long as you're proactively building your audience and disseminate and get on the right platform, which is here. So um, yeah, I think we covered that pretty well. Let's move on. Hopefully that helps you guys though as well. If you have any questions, just follow up later. Why and lifecycle marketing is an interesting topic without a doubt. How many brands really get it right? Planning it out, there is a high level view of all the touch points equals a task from hell really. <laughs> uh, which methods have you applied to create a central area to give all team members a view into touch points? it can easily lose its strings when it becomes complicated. I think that's a, a great point as well. Like a lot of this can, I think this was one of the questions we should sort of had to go over, but we'll just deal with it directly now because I do agree it can become overwhelming. Um, so like what are the main parts of the customer journey when you can go in from a conversational approach? We've covered like abandoned courts. Is there any like type of framework that we could go in with a conversational approach? I think I always try to look at this as like, don't overcomplicate this. Don't try to compare yourself to other brands, like trying to stay true to like what that ideal experience is. If it's, if it's your brand, if it's a brand you're, you're working on behalf of, I always try to like, whenever I talk to people who I'm working with, like for their brand, it's like, they want to do way too much. And so I, I think it's like, you know, you can do all these things if you have a long-term kind of like outlook on it, but 
there, there's just a few really core things that I always look at, which is like, what's your pre-purchase pre-purchase experience like? Yeah. Are you saying the right things? And then what's your post-purchase experience like? And are you saying the right things? Are you giving them enough value for them to want to come back? I mean, I know it's way more complicated than that, but I, I always just try to like think about it. it. There's only a few buckets that you're working with. And yeah. so like when you, you can see people sensationalizing strategies over and over, but it's like, if it doesn't work for you, like I don't really think that there's as much of a, it, it's not worth your time to try to compare yourself rather than just focusing on like getting those few fundamental things right. Um, I mean, I'm curious from your perspective, Adam, like what, what would you say is like kind of, if you had to simplify it down, like what, what are those things? For me, I think you've got those three key areas um, that we've went over a little bit already. So pre-purchase, make sure someone's guided to make the right decision, not what is best for the brand immediately. Uh, Post-purchase, make sure that they're obviously satisfied and they had a good experience. That's critical because that ultimately is what will determine whether they come back again. And churn prediction or cancellation subscription, depending on what type of business model you run. So not just accepting that someone leaves, and making sure that you go in and you at least try to create a feedback loop where you go, okay, someone cancels cancels the subscription because of this reason, or someone no longer wants to buy from us because you know the product shit or <laughs> the customer support was bad. Well, it's essential to not just think like, oh, it's a revenue opportunity when someone um, like we need to get the revenue back. It's important to create the feedback loop, and I think a conversational approach would work great in this context because you can speak to the customer, find out either why they stopped buying, why they canceled that subscription, and then you create that feedback loop so that when it does come to like your product marketing team, you overcome those objections or make sure that you're learning from your mistakes going forward. I absolutely agree. I, I think that's one of the biggest things that I love to implement is anywhere you can get feedback. If that's a customer survey, if that's just asking for replies, if that's taking data that you've learned from engagement, anything that you can do to enhance that feedback loop, um, it's, it's it's such a crucial thing. I, I always try to like, if there's an opportunity for the for the brand I'm working with to be customer driven or to really like value like an opportunity to grab feedback, like I think the post-purchase survey is one of the biggest things that I love to send out and look at. Like that's just a gold mine of information. For, and then I think it's further been like getting this, information like i think a lot of people do a great job of getting to that point but like what do you do with that and how are you like to your point like how are you taking that and, and creating experiences after you get that information um there's just so many opportunities on the table yeah um, i wanted to tackle this second part uh, was it, what methods have you applied to to create a central area um i think that's a really great point and like when i've worked with teams in the past it's like the email marketing team, the paid team are off on their own island. You know, then there's the brand team, then there's, you know, like logistics, there's all these different components. And I think everyone in the business that should have an insight into what is being communicated. So there's not this sense of like siloed, like what's going on in your ads should be very similar to what's going on in your, you know, your email, your SMS, all your own channels. And so like what we found is like, I, I really like if there's an opportunity to get everyone together and like talk through the strategies, at least at a high level or that they're aware of what's going on. Um, that's like a lunch and learn or like something kind of like that. Or if there's like, if it's, if that doesn't allow at least having like, like something like a project management tool where they can see everything. Yeah. Um, it's, I've been, I've been really surprised when I've worked with brands and like the paid team is 
not even aware of what's happening in email. And then we're seeing like two totally different things. And then it's, and that's not what you want to, to be communicating as a brand. Definitely. I think one tool that is amazing for this is Miro. I don't know if you've used it before. So it's like a visual um, road mapping tool. We use it to build all our flows. So like you get like a complete 360 overview of the customer journey um, and also Fig Jam as well. So like you can map out like from acquisition to retention, post-purchase to churn, and then you get like that visual roadmap. And then you can basically say like, okay, go in here through email or SMS, this part like paid social and then you can sort of like strategically place each department and see like who needs to contribute at which points uh, so that's miro.com i think amazing tool that's awesome there's another one hello hello <laughs> <laughs> cool let's move on um okay so which which brands are doing conversational marketing well at the moment i know we've gave away some strategies but is there any particular brands that jump to mind i think the, the one that comes to mind i mean they're a tone client but i'll i'll shout them out as, as usual lines um not, not as many people know about, about this band maybe but um, they have a really good conversational SMS strategy, and I know they do the same on email. It's one of my favorite brands, just something a little bit different in that food and beverage space that not as much people, I think, look to. Um, and then I think another one that comes to mind is, is Manscaped. I think they have a really great post-purchase strategy. I, I mean, they're one of the bigger brands in the D2C space, but those are two I really look up to. Um, and then I think the last one that I really think does a really great job of at least like there's the frameworks that I, I've, I've always loved is um, Boom by Cindy Joseph. It's an Ezra Firestone yeah. brand. Um, I think that they've done a really good job of creating community and they leverage the hell out of content. And so like, I think that that's a really good conversational approach is um, they, I mean, like just seeing a lot of the content that they send and the replies that they get back. And it's, it's very much a community that, that they're building. And I think that that's one of the pillars of a conversational strategy is a community. Um, so those are three brands that I look up to. There's countless more, but um, what about you, Adam? What do, what do you, who do you look to in that, in that I, space? I've heard a lot about um, Manscaped, like you said, but I haven't yet been through that post-purchase journey, but you're not the only person to comment on that. I've seen a lot of people talking about it on LinkedIn and I keep being retargeted by like that razor, even though I don't have to shave. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I should buy one um, just to see what it's all about. Um, as I think Cindy, uh, Boom by Cindy Joseph, sorry, Ezra's one. Um, I know like he's big, isn't he, on the Boom Club, I think it's called. Like, yeah, yeah, Boom Club. Leverage that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, brands that who I think are doing conversational marketing well. I think, to be honest with you, we don't have a huge amount in the UK. So when I buy in the UK, like text isn't used in the same way. It's not as prevalent, I think, as in the US. Um, so I haven't got too many great examples. I could, I will say like the brands that we're working with, um, you know, a bit of a shameless plug, but we're trying to incorporate it into email as well. Um, not just for <clears throat> community building, but also for deliverability. So try and get people to respond to emails and then condition them to like go back and see if they've won a competition a few days later. Um, <clears throat> so trying to bring like sort of a conversational aspect in there, like sending them to type forms, collecting like images about them, their experiences, the UGC. Um, but yeah, there's there's lots of opportunity, I think, isn't there? As long as you stop 
like pigeonholing it as in as only to sell and speak one way to the customers, then this there's really no limit to the creativity of what you can speak about. Absolutely. I think that that to me is the brands that are creative are the ones that I feel like are always the ones that stand out the most to me. And I don't, I think a lot of conversational strategy and, you know, I think people might disagree with you, but I think it's a lot of testing and being bold in some ways and, and really trying to like find the right mix for, for, for your brand, like using type forms when you can, using quizzes when you can, uh, any opportunity you can, you know, use to get more data to give them a more personalized experience is a really great strategy. But I mean, also like if you have a brand where you have a really good social community and leveraging that, not every brand has that luxury, obviously, but uh, I think it's just a lot of creativity and, and that's what's gonna win out in the next few years. I think as you start to stand out more is how, how you set yourself up today for that long-term kind of play. I'll tell you something interesting, actually, talking about the, the creativity on the channels. You know what I find weird the way like brands are happy to talk to their customers on social and have loads of engagement, but they hate it over email and SMS. Like they literally, I get a lot of resistance when I talk about these types of things, even sometimes to our clients. They're like, oh, we don't want like customers to email it. We don't want to speak to them. But it's like when they post on social, they want like tons of conversation. It's It's such a misconception, isn't it? That the channel can't be used in that way. It's a huge misconception. I mean, it's it's what we build our business on a tone, but I, I think um, it's, it's, it's just to me, like, I think that's where you want the engagement. Social, I, I understand it's like, well, that's visible to everyone. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of building that that, that proof, if you will. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it helps deliverability on email. It also establishes more consistency. Like when someone's communicating back and forth, it's just to me, like, it's a lot of missed opportunities. Um, I know the, the challenge is obviously, scaling a cs team if you can't yeah. do that and, and being efficient you know i think that there, there's definitely some challenges with it um you know on the sms side you know like a shameless plug for tone like we're doing that you know for brands but i understand you know like when we were working with other sms vendors before using tone it was like um that that's a scary place to look for a lot of brands you know and so yeah. like when you're when you're inviting that conversation you need to be ready to handle it and if you don't, I think it's a, it could actually do more harm than good um, in a lot of ways. I, I think it's just like people are opening up and you gotta be able to kind of like receive and also give back. Yeah, so it's a mindset thing, isn't it? You've got to be able to be willing ultimately to invest in the relationships and not, um, yeah, that that's actually, I think it's a big problem with brands. It's like they, that just, you've just pinpointed there that some brands don't want to speak to their customers like they will on social because it's all good for show, but they actually don't want to speak to them over support. And I think those brands are going to suffer a lot in the next few years, a lot. Absolutely. And I, I, I think, you know, there's ways I, I actually think too, to get, you know, I'm not, I don't think a fully automated experience is, is, is the path forward, but I think there's a lot of things that you can do with auto automation and personalization, you know, to kind of like at least get some more frameworks in place. And if you can't scale up that CS team, you know, just being more creative with it, like you should be wanting to talk to your customers. And if you're not, I think you should be asking like, what's the, what's the reason why? Because they, at the end of the day, like, they drive your business. Um, yeah. So I think any any chance you can to, to interface with them, it creates more of that in-store experience that I think as consumers historically we've been used to, um, but it also just, 
there's a lot of competition out there and I think it's only going to continue to get more heated. And so like those experiences, like we see it time and time again at Tone, like when we have conversations with people, people will come back and they'll text back like one, two years later to that same channel because we opened up that opportunity for them to con to have a conversation with us there. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you this is like the, the, like the biggest secret to growing your brain, but I think it's a, one of the, the pillars of like keeping things two way on every channel that you can is just really important. Yep. Yep. No, definitely seeing it as an opportunity center and not a cost center. I'm sure if we Absolutely. get that from somewhere, but <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> sure. Well, mate, uh, loads of great strategies, loads of good ideas so far. Um, let's change and talk a little bit about your previous experience, which is my territory as well. Um, sure. In the agency. So let's say you're a, um, a D2C brand, like, and obviously coming from an agency background yourself, what do you think some of the pros and cons are of hiring an agency versus in-house? I think the biggest pro that comes to mind when you hire an agency is if you make the right hire, like it, you're getting a team that you would pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars yeah. a month to have, you know, for, you know, like a fraction of that cost. So you're getting, yeah. you know, your copywriter, your design team, email marketer, you know, down the line, like you're getting, inexperienced team. So I think that that immediately is a huge win if you're not, you know, having to scale up this big, you know, in-house team. Um, but I think on the flip side of that, it's like, if you make the wrong hire, you know, you might, you know, not be getting the best experience possible. So I think that that's really goes to like vetting the agencies and making sure that there's um, a commitment from them and that they really want your business. I, I think so. But if, if you get it right, like I've seen that accelerate the growth of brands just, just like tenfold on, on, on whatever channel they're working with. Um, I think also like allowing you to focus on other areas of the business by hiring an agency. So if you don't have to do your email marketing, you know, you have an expert doing that, or you have someone running your paid ads, whatever the case is, um, letting an expert do it. And you, you can learn from them, like watch them along the way. But I think it's, um, to learn that on your own would take months, if not years to get that level of expertise. So I, I think like that's an immediate, it's an obvious one, but I, I think it's kind of overlooked sometimes. It's like a lot of people when we've spoken with in the past have been like email marketing is easy. Like I don't need to hire someone to do that. Like I'll set up all my flows and then we'll, we'll be off to the races. And it's like, it's a lot more to that, obviously, as I'm sure, you know, like you fully understand, but it's just, I think a lot of people don't realize the expertise is so important in this space. So. I think those are like immediate ones that come to mind for me. Um, obviously, like the, the the other con I might think of is the level of emotional investment from an agency. You know, they might have five five to fifteen even more clients, and you know, you're not getting full forty hours a week of their time. Like you might be getting a fraction of that. So, just making sure that there's the right expectations in place. I think going into it, and that like you're constantly in communication and that they're not siloed uh, off. Like if you have an agency running paid and then doing your, you know, your conversational stuff, it's like, are they communicating? Is there, you know, kind of consistency across? Um, but I mean, I'm a big advocate for hiring agencies. I, I, I think hiring in-house can be really messy. I, I, I think the biggest problem with hiring in-house is the ramp up time. And so like an agency could get off to the races in a, like a month or two yeah. months, in-house might take you three to six months to even get close to that. So 
I think there's pros and cons to both for sure stuff. I think you, you've hit the nail on the head completely. Like I couldn't have put it better myself. Um, one thing that sticks out to me as well is like, even though, as you said, you don't want the agencies to be compartmentalized and not work together at the same time. The reason we only like offer email as a service is because if you look how intricate and complex, like different parts of everything from social media to Facebook ads, to SEO, to, to Google ads and YouTube ads, it, it's like, it's so hard to know each area and sure. be a true expert on it. And I think, um, and not to obviously like bash any agencies that do offer all those services, but as you said, the, the amount of resources that you need to be, to provide like a true top-notch service in email, even for example, you know, you need someone to build the emails, you need to design it, you need to copyright, you need a strategist, you need a project manager, someone to go over QA testing. Like there's a lot of people that you would have to hire individually. And then, you know, it's, there's no guarantee it will all work out, of course. Absolutely. I, I think that's one of the the really awesome things to see in the past few years has been there's a lot more specialization uh, specialization happening within agencies. You know, I mean, agencies building their whole business off of one thing, which I yeah. think is like, I mean, yeah, like uh, email marketing is so complex. You know, I, when I started an email, I had no idea what went into making, you know, uh, an effective strategy. And it's just, you start to learn, it's like doing all these things and all the time that it takes. Um, but I, I think I have seen agencies that do it all, but they're typically the agencies that have 50, 100, 200 plus employees and there's departments and it's it's not like you're going to hire a, you know, a two person show and they're going to be able to do all this. I, I, I would I would I'd be hard pressed to believe that they'd be doing it all themselves and that they wouldn't be outsourcing some of that work to somebody else. Uh, again, I think you, you're going to see a big drop off on you, like maybe like the emails great, but the Facebook ads will be garbage. So Sure. Um, and you want to avoid that so yeah it, it, well obviously i'm biased i'm going to say like specialist <laughs> but um it's it's sure. going to be interesting because i do think you know you, you mentioned earlier like the departments working in silos together but i think there's definitely like a lot more pressure on agencies now to collaborate with each other which they should do anyway they shouldn't see themselves um siloed from other areas but at the same time like obviously that eats into your margins and um, you know, like that's a lot more time you have to invest in other parts of the business. But I think that's necessary with the, the changes that are coming like on ads and cookies and everything else. Like people just need to collaborate more to make sure that they don't compete, but they work with each department together. Sure. I think one thing I wanted to touch on to you real quick was that historically it's been like, you know, like I'll take the example of working with a paid and an email team. Like they don't want to work together because of attribution. And if I'm helping the paid team, that's less <laughs> money coming in on the email side. But I, I think it's like, you know, as we move towards, you know, a lot of these things going away in the attribution side, it's going to be even more important to have that communication. I mean, it's always been important, but um, I think having some humility in, in, that, in that process for the agencies, but also on like the brand owner side is understanding like, these numbers might look a little bit less, you know, holistically, but like you need to have that kind of back and forth. Like I, I, I just use paid and email as a perfect example because like a lot of that is so closely tied. But I, I think it's like looking rather than looking at like cannibalization of it, it's like you you have to have that communication. Like I, I worked at an agency where we kind of had in-house brands, so we were always working back and forth. So that was a different experience. But I, I can definitely say like from chatting with other friends there's been a lot of competition almost that like they don't want to talk 
to the, the paid agency. So I think it's changing to your point, but um, it's definitely an interesting kind of dynamic to see. Definitely, definitely interesting times ahead. So let's finish off and I'd love to just get your thoughts on some you know, great e-commerce brands at the moment that you think are doing a great job in the space. Man, that's, I think there's a lot of brands doing really, really awesome things. I mean, I, I, I'll use Manscaped again because I just really think that they're, impre they're impressive for a lot of reasons. I think they've built this really big wholesale side of it, you know, and they're in a lot of retail, which is really impressive. But on the D2C side of things, it's like they're, they understand their customer really well. And I think mm -hmm. they only make their, their marketing speak to that. Like it's, it's very clear when you experience that, like, okay, this is for, a male age, you know, 21 to 45, whatever their ICP is. I think it's like that, that's, it's really impressive just to see how creative they've gotten within this. Um, so I, I, I always point to Manscaped as one. Um, man, you put me on the spot. Like, I, I think, I think, I think honestly, like another one that really comes to mind to me at least, you know, like, I, I might be biased, but I, I, I purchased, you know, a pair of like movement eyeglasses the, the other week. And I think that they have been doing a lot of really cool things around SMS marketing. So I think that's another one that comes to mind for me is just someone who like, I think that they definitely understand like the channel is changing. And so I think that they're kind of at the forefront of just embracing some of those more like kind of conversational strategies. Um, so those two come to mind for me. I'm sure that there's probably like a lot more that kind of you know, could, could meet that. But what about you? What, what would you like say is a few brands that impress you? For me in the UK, I uh, purchased from, <laughs> excuse me, Snug Sofa, S-N-U-G. And they basically do um, like modular sofas that you build together. So like, it, you know, the traditional experience buying a sofa, I suppose, is that you go to a showroom and then you have to wait like eight weeks or so. And then you have to like try and fit it through the door at home and, you know, call all your friends to take the day off work. Um, so they've got a great value proposition, obviously, from the get go. But also the experience buying from them, what is traditionally like such a horrible, lousy uh, experience of buying a sofa and like having to wait and go through the frustrations it just completely revolutionized that process for me. Like it was actually really exciting to have a sofa delivered to our flat when we moved in to the sure. home. Like the boxes came packaged and inside all the boxes were like notes inside the cushions saying like, oh, I've been cold inside here. I'm cramped. Like, let me out. Like have a glass of wine with me. <laughs> and I just thought the, the unboxing experience was just absolutely epic. And it was something like you wanted to speak and share with all your friends and family because it, and, and I think that's like, that, that's, that's a huge thing with unboxing or when you sure. um, customer receives the product that they, the brands maybe need to put more attention on. It's like, that's where you get the words of mouth through that experience. So yeah, for me, they, they did an exceptional job and also they actually did do a lot of text follow-ups, like constant updates, like where the product is in, in the stage of the delivery, what time it's going to be delivered and not also like providing generic updates, which are obviously appreciated, but they were very like on brand and done in like a playful way. Like, oh, you know, can't wait to see you. I'm two hours away from your home. Like I'm going to be here at this time. So sure. it, it, it was just a great experience. And, and you can tell from the way I'm talking about it, I think like it's so powerful for brands to put this much effort into it because this is the type of words of mouth everyone dreams of. Absolutely. It's one thing that I preach a lot is like 
the post-purchase experience and like those transactional updates are like such key moments to build more anticipation. Like I was talking to someone, I, I mean, I really disagreed with them the other day and they were like, we shouldn't be communicating until the product arrives. Like nothing should start until like that box hits my door. And I'm like, to me, it's like building that hype like that. I mean, maybe you don't, you know, send 13 text messages or emails before the product arrives, but like being really transparent, but also like it's an opportunity to build hype and kind of leave those like breadcrumbs of like, this is the brand experience. And then like, when they have that unboxing experience, that's, yeah, that to me, like, I mean, it's really, really cliche, but like Apple has a really great unboxing yeah. experience and like brands that get close to something like that. I'm always like, wow, that, that to me, like you could tell that this wasn't an afterthought to them. They just didn't throw this in the box. Like they really wanted me to take this moment to be like an introduction yeah. to whatever this product is. Um, yeah, that's the moment you remember. I think of almost anything is like the unboxing experience and it's often overlooked. So I think that's a really big opportunity that's not even like conversational, but just in general to um, really like cement your brand as like a memorable brand. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head and that's where retention starts. Um, pretty crazy to like, think like you spoke to someone who didn't think they should communicate until the customer received the products because you go through that massive part of buyer's remorse don't you i think where you buy something and then you you question whether you made the right investment like you get very emotional about it but having someone reaffirm their commitment to you and like take those um that anxiety away is so important and yeah so mm. Sounds obvious. <laughs> cool. Um, Blake, it's been a pleasure. We're going to round out now, but any closing thoughts that you'd like to share? Like how can people contact you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, LinkedIn is the best. Just just LinkedIn, Blake and Pearl. You can search me there. Um, you know, if you're interested in talking about SMS, email, like, I mean, I'm not really as much of an email expert as Adams. I would default to him, but um Anything SMS, honestly, your life cycle, like I, I'm happy to chat, you know, or point you in the right direction. Um, and yeah, I think that's probably the best place to get in touch with me. Um, also just really love learning from other people. So you, even if you're not in that space, you just want to connect, you know, I'm always happy to chat. So uh, yeah, Adam, it's been a pleasure, man. Like this has been a lot of fun just to kind of chat and, um, you know, been wanting to do this for a while. So I'm, I'm really excited we got the chance to, uh, to make it happen. Good stuff. Let's do it again soon. As I said, mate, it's been a pleasure. I will tag you in this post. And if anyone has any comments for Blake, feel free to just drop them in the comments and I'm sure he will get back to you. But otherwise, we are going to end things right now. <laughs>